Aloha guys and welcome back to the Vicious Cycle Podcast. This is your host Kenton Gear and today I've got my special guest Travis Miking. All right buddy why don't you tell us a little bit who you are how I met you what are you doing here today? All right um, I was born and raised in Kailua Hawaii. Um, grew up my father is a commercial fisherman both my mom and my dad's side um, way back uh, my whole family, all my um, aunties and uncles, all my, both my grandparents on both sides of the family from Catalina, Point Loma, both of them are from San Diego. Prior to that, Ballard, Seattle, Deep Sea Fishermen's Union. Prior to that, Ketchikan, Alaska. Prior to that, Viking, Norway. So we're Norwegian fishermen that I happen to be born and raised in Hawaii. I'm so lucky. And then <clears throat> when I was a little kid. How old are you now? I just turned 33. Happy birthday. Yeah. So um, recently, recently um, got to uh, jump back on my dad's boat. I've been fishing up in Alaska for halibut and black cod the last 10 years. I would go up there for six months out of the year and <clears throat> working on my family's boat out, out of Valley in Seattle, built in 1926, old wooden schooner. And they don't make them like they used to. So I was with a bunch of old Norwegian fishermen and just um, really enjoy the ocean and <clears throat> now I'm back home to help out my dad. He's getting old. He's got a couple of grandkids and I want to give pops a break and take over the take over the boats and let him know that he's got brother Chad right here to help him out. Right on, man. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your upbringing? Now, one thing that you did when you were younger that I'm jealous of and. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about the Northwest Hawaiian Islands when you used to be able to fish up there and what exactly happened to that fishery? Papahanao Mokuakea, the Northwestern Hawaiian Islands, um, it stretches a great distance from Nihoa all the way to Kiri Atoll. And when I was younger, um, you know, I went to school at Kahi Elementary, Kailua Intermediate, Kalaheo, but in the summertime, I would venture out to sea with my father and at that time they were commercially long-lining lobster only six people in the world had a permit so as my father a couple of my uncles and it's a very tight-knit group of people is very monitored by National Marine Fishery Service and NOAA as far as sustainability how far are the Northwest Hawaiian Islands from the main Hawaiian Islands like how far did you go from say Honolulu that everyone knows like how far away was this from Honolulu Harbor to Midway is about 1300 miles and from Kauai and Niihau you hit Nihoa and Decker Island that's that's a solid two three hundred miles I don't know exactly but once once you hit up there it's like you're in a whole different part of the planet that most people have never even experienced and when I was a little kid I'd be with Uncle Nathan who's the captain of Sylvia He's uh, probably well, he's one of the few native Hawaiians in the fleet, and he was the deck boss on my father's boat when I was a kid. So I was gonna say he's probably the only true native Hawaiian captain on a longliner right now, isn't he? Yes, and it's Eddie Aikawa's first cousin on Auntie Myra's side. So this guy, he's not only a fisherman; he's a deep water diver. He's a big wave surfer, and me and him growing up on the boat. Um, so we got to leave here, like we would leave Honolulu. We would venture five, six days. Now, which the, boat was this? Is this the... This was the Maria. So the one you're running now? Yeah. Awesome. And um, 
we would set 2,000 lobster traps a day. We'd have 100, la 100 traps on each string. And um, How long would a string be? Then I was a little kid. It was like kind of just me on the boat. At that time, I'm not, I can't give any accurate information, but 2,000 traps a day, 24 hours. Um, we would clean all the lobster on the boat, process them on the boat, and then we would freeze them small, medium, large, depending on the size of the tail. And then when we'd come home, we'd sell 50 pound bags of the highest quality lobster in the world. And before you go any further, I remember a story <laughs> you told me and some of the local fishermen, the shoreline fishermen, you had told me that when you clean the lobsters, there used to be giant alua. Is that correct? Like, oh man, this was awesome. So <clears throat> we, we went, tail each lobster there was a couple other bigger boats larger vessels that had a brine system so the paradise queen too captain craig my uncle craig used to run that and we were on a smaller vessel so we would tail the lobsters and Me meaning we, that you only kept the tails yeah so i'd be i'd be the little kid all i did was chop bait i would i would chop bait all day and i would tail lobsters all night and um all the heads would go on a 50 gallon drum and then at the end, at the end of the day, we'd have two or three 50 gallon drums full of lobster heads and I would dump them overboard. And when I dumped them overboard, these big alulas would come. Would you guys jacked. anchor up at night? Is that why it was in the shallows or no? Yeah. Yeah. You didn't, so you anchor, would you anchor up every night? No, we were running the whole time. Oh really? We were running back and forth at one set here, one set here, one set here. And my father would be on the boat. You know, we'd go to sleep for a couple hours, but right. Pops, Pops would be monitoring. We never throw anchor on the coral reef. So where were the aluas then? They were just out in between, or where would you feed them? So this is awesome. Um, we would dump over all these lobster heads, drifting. And meanwhile, while while we were fishing, there'd be so many sharks because we'd open up the lobster trap, we'd throw the old bait over. So gray reef sharks, black tip sharks, and you'd see a couple big tiger sharks. Some of the biggest tiger sharks you've ever seen in your life. And so it had all these sharks, but we'd dump over the lobster heads and then the luas would come up and they would, um, that's their favorite food. So they were trained to follow you then? Yeah, we had 90, 100 pound jacks coming up, big ones. And we would free gaff them right out of the water. We have these 10, 12 foot bamboo gaffs that we use for ahi fishing. But so when we dump over the lobster heads, we'd be free gaffing these luas. And then once you get a little bit of blood in the water, then the sharks show up. Then it's game over. We're like, oh shit, the sharks are here. It must, but, been, must have been epic to see all so that. So epic, so epic. And then I got some really cool uh, memories, really. That's kind of how I grew up on dad's boat. And then... Would you guys keep bottom fish on those trips too? Or when you were up there, it was just focused on lobster? Oh man, we, my father was captain of the boat and all the guys that jumped in, they were there to work hard and make money for their family. But me and Uncle Nathan, the Hawaiian on board everybody would go to sleep and me and that guy we'd sit out there all night and we'd go bottom fishing um opakapaka onaga the deep water hawaiian sea bass trying to catch the big one and hapapu yep yeah and then um just trolling you know trolling up there we get the rainbow runners we get the uku stuff that you normally wouldn't catch trolling around the main hawaiian islands in pelagic waters this is more um shallow reefs with sea mounts and see many tunas up there oh yeah yeah and, uh lot lots of tuna jumping out of the water um monk seals monk seals would come up and just and um 
just some some very precious endangered species that not many people get to see and just we're not up there um impeding on them or harming them we're just you know i'd see all these mud seals come up to the boat when we're drifting and it's like and throw them a couple of pieces of bait would they eat the lobster heads when you throw them over oh yeah yeah that's their favorite <laughs> yeah. so i um, got to experience a lot of very cool stuff up there and then the weather oh my gosh what about opihis i've heard stories did you ever go pick a pihi up there so the only island i've touched ground on is necker island yeah and it's pretty much just a huge volcanic rock sticking out of the ocean. There's no runway, there's no dock. Uh, it's uninhabited besides the seabirds. But yeah, so huge OPEs. Um, the type where you just need a couple for a meal. Yeah, you know? Some big boys, yeah, almost like scallops on the rock. But just beautiful. Um, this would be summertime. So in the wintertime, that's the last place I would want to be because of rough yeah when you see Wabe bay breaking and the big surf on the north shore of hawaii um we watch the weather in japan so when it's snowing in tokyo you know that the surf's going to be pumping and all the big wave surfers will be coming here to catch big waves and when you're out a thousand miles northwest on your boat man so october through april i most likely wouldn't want to be up there but would the boat go like where were you in school was your dad still up there that time of year oh yeah he was up there charging and even now what we're doing yeah um it's safety first you know um, we got crew on our boats and we're so privileged to go out there and catch fish and provide people with high quality seafood but it's always safety first and um when mother nature goes we go you know it's the one thing we don't have control over so so what happened to that fishery like I mean, there weren't very many boats doing it, right? So what happened? Um, in a very simple terms, it was always a protected area. It was always a wildlife sanctuary. When President Bush left office, everybody was pissed off about the war in the Middle East. And he was trying to do something. So he made it a national monument. And that's what went from a sanctuary to a presidential signature making it a monument and then from there obama took office so, so 1999 it was 1999 was the last year they shut down the northwestern Hawaiian islands they shut down the whole lobster fishery and now everybody in hawaii that eats lobster is eating imported lobster from foreign countries so um isn't that crazy then we had obama our next commander-in-chief when he left office he wanted to do something positive for the environment and he made it it's as of right now it's the largest protected uh national monument in the world but they they extended the closure zone from 50 miles to 200 miles so the economical exclusion zone the easy they pretty much kicked american fishermen out of american waters and for us um yeah, it's just nobody will ever be able to go up there and experience that ever again. And the whole thing is we got some you, of the best lobster in the world right here in Hawaii and we were practicing it sustainably and we were, were we had quotas on each reef and each atoll and it was only two or three months out of the year we'd go up there, scoop a bunch of big lobsters, uh, we'd let all the females go to lay their eggs and we had a size limit, everything. And now... Like I said, everybody is eating imported lobster from foreign countries that are breaking all the rules. And 
we're trying to we're trying to focus on sustainability and conservation for for tomorrow yeah so we don't think about just today we think about tomorrow <laughs> yeah well i mean i mean that's a great lead-in uh that's a great lead-in it's a shame about what happened with the lobster fishery but it's also a great lead-in to where we are with fish today yeah. in hawaii and the united states in general so many people have no idea that the vast majority of the fish they're consuming is actually from a foreign country so um, I know that when we had originally talked, uh, you were interested in talking about uh, local fish versus imports. So why don't you tell us about what you do now and how the imports affect what you do. So explain to the people that don't know like the kind of boat you're running. All right, so um, I'm captain of fishing vessel Marie M out of Honolulu, Hawaii. That's my father's boat named after my grandmother, Marie Miking. And um, I was conceived on this boat. I was homeschooled on this <laughs> boat um, since diaper days on the boat. And so now um, we're trying to educate the people. Everybody likes to eat fish, but they don't want to know where it comes from. And a big part of it is... Um, Why do you think that is? It's just how convenient, how convenient that you could wake up in the morning and you could leave your house. You could drive five or ten minutes in any direction and grab a Pokeball. And... We're so lucky to be able to eat fresh seafood from the ocean, but a lot of it is misunderstanding and just lack of knowledge as far as um, we love the ocean. We want to take care of the ocean. I'm a surfer as well, so I'm kind of more, let's, um, let's go out fishing and have a good time and try our best and work hard, but let's do it the right way, you know? And then <clears throat> when we come in, we um, are working with Noah we're working with National Marine Fishery Service. We're providing data. And um, we're, me and Kenton, we're both part of the Hawaii tuna tagging program and the shark tagging and talking about um, the future. You know, we, we want our kids and our grandkids to be able to experience what we've been lucky enough to experience. And <clears throat> so the fish, you know, they get to a certain size to lay eggs. And a lot of these guys, they say, oh, you fucking long liners, you guys out there raping and pillaging the ocean. And they're coming in with all these shebies that are close to shore. And I tell them, man, the fish I'm catching are migratory tuna. And man, I, I catch 30 pounders, I tag them and let them go because I'm looking for a certain quality, a certain grade of fish. And um, somebody else could catch that same fish a year later and not only feed your family and your neighbors, you could feed the whole block and there's going to be millions of eggs in the ocean. So that's part of it. And then the other part of it is um, this imported fish that people are eating. Where's most of that fish coming from? Most of it comes from the South Pacific, um, Indonesia, Philippines, Samoa, Marshall Islands, Micronesia. So these are purse sainers. These are huge two to 300 foot boats and they have nets and me and Kenton, I don't think I've ever used a net to catch a fish. One hook, one line, one fish. And so if we do catch a small one, we can tag it and let it go. Um, if we catch any protected species, we can deal with it in the right way and release it safely. These nets, man, they're pulling 100 plus thousand pounds of seafood out of the ocean in one scoop. So small dolphins, turtles, um, all smashed by big loads of fish. Um, a lot of the sharks get finned. They cut the shark fins off and throw them back in the water. That's not cool at all. So whales too. Keep whales. Oh yeah. Um, 
Nah, the Japanese uh, big motherships, the Japanese motherships are down there just taking whales right off their boats because, and nobody, nobody says anything. I mean, that's just normal down there, and it's as far as the oceans and uh, thinking about the future. You know, we cannot act like that. So, the people in Hawaii, we're trying to educate everybody that's listening. Um, every time you buy imported fish. Even on the mainland, a lot of the stuff on the mainland United States is imported from foreign countries. And 91% now. They don't have the same pollution laws as us either. So, you know, we always take care of all our rubbish, not only the plastic, but everything. We're not throwing anything in the ocean. We bring all our rubbish back, we recycle all our cans and bottles. But every time people buy imported fish, not only are you harming the environment, with the protected species and over catching a fish here um you know i live on the east side of hawaii and we got these big nets floating up on our beaches we got microplastics it's um the ocean is the one thing that's going to make the future you know there's lots of crazy shit going on in the world right now so the ocean is the most powerful thing and without that mankind doesn't have a chance so if everybody could just... Um, but how does a consumer on the mainland... Okay, say they listen yeah. to the mainland. How does a consumer on the mainland know that they're eating an American fish? That's the hardest part. That's the hardest part is... Um, you know, you're all excited. You're like, oh yeah, let's go get some fish and let's go barbecue. Um, it's very hard to trace where it comes from. Um, if you go to the local supermarkets here in Hawaii, it'll say a fresh ahi filet. And look in the fine print. The fine print will say product of Marshall Islands, product of the Philippines. And when you see that, and then on the Any? other side, sometimes it'll say previously frozen. And a lot of people are misunderstood. They think that's our fish that was in the freezer for a week. Right, a lot of people don't understand. For that $5 a pound cheaper, but if you want to save five bucks a pound on your Pokeball, that's what I'm getting at, is you're destroying the ocean. Well, I think I think mislabeling and labeling has always been an industry issue because yeah. I think, like you said, previously frozen, people don't realize that there is no previously frozen fish coming uh, from Hawaii. Well, it's a fresh fish market. Yeah, right? it's coming so, fresh off ice, straight, straight to the consumer off our boats. And we're not trying to rep ourselves. Like, it's not about money. It's not about recognition. It's about doing the right thing and doing it the right way. You know, I totally agree. And if if uh, if we could get a little public relations going and just educate the public, especially the youth, like we're gonna go talk to the kids at the school and get some younger local fishermen involved that are conscious about the ocean and the future, and then we'll see where it goes from there. But it's little by little, just trying to make um, some positive changes in our fishery and trying to address issues that not many people want to talk about. You know, well. This is a good question. Since you're here, you're you're a young man that grew up here, and you fished. Your family's into it, um, and you're talking about getting younger fishermen involved, which I'm all about. That's something I've been on board for a long time. Yeah. The question I have on that is, how do we get new fishermen involved at the price point that we're at? Because I feel like one of the reasons that local fishermen don't stick around is because there's not enough money for a crew member to get to there's not enough money for a crew member to stick around um and so 
like for me, as you know, like right now I've got foreign crew on the boat, and, yeah. and most of the boats do. Um, one thing that happened, like uh, especially after COVID, uh, you know, comes like all these handouts and everything. You can't get an American to work because they've so, got. So whatever happened to the hardworking, taxpaying American? Well, this, this is my question. Besides that, um, no, no, this is a serious question. How do you get a new generation of fishermen if you can't just give the keys? You can't just give the keys of a half a million million dollar longliner to someone with no experience but how do you get a fisherman to work on the boat long enough to get that experience and that's a great question kenton thank you for asking um one part of it so i'm just gonna jump in yeah. so you know it's very very hard work uh most people they think we go out there and catch a bunch of fish and make a bunch of money it's not like that at all um it takes a lot of hard work before we even leave to head out to sea we got so much um, bills to pay. Uh, just, just being legal for the Coast Guard. I mean, it takes a lot of work to have a lot of fun. But <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Yeah, and then um, well, the margins are very thin in fishing. So the so the local like the guys that I had on the boat, like a lot of my friends, you know, they got wives or girlfriends. A lot of them have kids. So if you have a family and you got to pay rent and pay just your basic monthly bills, so. If I say, yeah, let's go jump on the boat, and we go out there and we work our hands to the bone 20 to 24 hour days for two to three weeks straight. And then when we come home, we have no control over the market. So if we get, you know, if we get $3 a pound at the block, and we got a nice little fish, it's like. So, so. Yeah, I'm giving them their pay. I'm like, hey, man, you guys did such a good job. And I kind of feel bad. I'm like, I'm sorry, you know, I. We got a shitty price. Well, let's say they don't even average three dollars. And then if if well, they cannot pay their bills for the month, well, and their, their wives like, oh, you're out there fishing for three weeks, and and then I'm like, oh, let's go try it again. We're leaving tomorrow. Well, you even so said, that, you, that, wait, hold on a second. You even just said three dollars. Now, yeah. what about the times it's sub two dollars, and you can have beautiful loads of fish? Oh, and you can't even pay your fuel and, bill, and you can't even pay your fuel bill. Yeah, and then then what do you do for those people that that's what people don't understand and, and then on the other side of that too like um once in a while the price is good like if you hit the if you hit it right it's awesome but like the, it's the, a very small amount of time so on the flip side it's like if well we, the market's strong right now yeah but, so if i take a guy out and i have a good trip i give him a killer paycheck but then i tell him hey you have to be at the boat at 7 a.m tomorrow we're gonna get ice and bait and fuel and they're out at Waikiki partying, so they, you know, they're not here. They're not ready to go. So this foreign crew that we got, they're really awesome. Uh, they don't drink. They don't do drugs. They're always here. They're always ready to go. Right. And they're sending family. They're sending their family money. We're sending all their kids to college. They're building brand new houses in Indonesia, and it's awesome. No, I agree with all that, one hundred percent. I, I, I love my guys. Like yeah. you know, Sooty back there has been fishing with me, I believe, since two thousand and eleven you know like on and off and so i love these guys so it's not like that's not the question the question is yeah how do you get the next generation of fishermen to be educated to the level where they need to be to be proficient at fishing if the baseline isn't there and put in the hard work and put in your time because yeah. experience is everything right i mean and so so that's a hard question you know what kenton i i can't come up with a solid short answer for that i'm kind of rambling on about um they're not rambling this is good yeah this is good and that so the local people what we want is people that care and love the ocean like i was born and raised on the east side in kailua 
we're kind of known as a surf a lot of watermen over there a lot of surfers divers paddlers and fishermen my good friend eric rusneck lives over there oh I think yes. you met him right? aloha lures yeah yeah, yeah 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 all the boys gully boy all the uncles over there yeah some classics <laughs> over there so um we just did uncle christian schneider's um memorial and we had all the all the fishermen from the east side over there anyways uh we're, i'm trying to get the young boys like they're all like yeah Trav, like i want to go on the boat i want to check it out i'm like okay like let's go and the first trip is kind of like so they could see what they're getting involved in yeah and test their limits as far as lack of sleep and pushing the limits on hard work so after the first trip i'm like did he have fun you know did he enjoy that and i i've had a couple of people that just oh no i i cannot <laughs> do that you know like cannot <laughs> and, uh, they, you know it's like oh right on like you know they got some good pictures and some good memories from that one experience but um the guys that stick with it like kenton and like me and then i got kenny kirby oh, yeah, i got yeah. max running the finback and a couple of my good friends from kailua that they were just young gung-ho fishermen surfer guys that love the ocean and um i mean it's you- a blessing to be out there you know we watch the sunrise and the sunset every day on the ocean we had no cell phone no internet out there we we're so lucky if you love the ocean and you can wake up every morning in the middle of the pacific well, or or not, I, or not go to sleep, depending on yeah. Well, yeah, no sleep. And, yeah, just let's go haul gear all night, and it, it's one of those things where um, if you could forget about the money, and I love working hard. You know, it makes me feel good to. We have to forget about the money. Forget. Yeah, you forget about the money, and then you kind of go into more like a oh my gosh, this is beautiful. We're on the ocean. We're, I'm fishing with the boys. I'm having fun, and when you come in, and if we make no money, we still acknowledge it. Hey, good job boys like good job uh let's go try it again and nothing will stop us we're gonna keep doing this for the rest of our lives which is the way i feel about it as well yeah but at the end of the day man like i've got three children you still gotta get paid on on some level you still gotta get paid and that's the thing about keeping future generation fishermen like it's great to have spiritual connection like we do i love being out there i love fishing but you still have to make at least x amount of money to keep uh and to take a month off out of the year to go spend time with the with kids. With your kids, too, right. Because Take them on a cool vacation and go do fun stuff. And, right. Um, so so with that, that's kind of in direct connection with what we were speaking about earlier about the imported fish. So if we could um, <clears throat> educate people and little by little possibly shut down these imports and then we could get maybe just one or two dollars more per pound at the block for the fishermen and we're taking a hundred percent of the risk and a hundred percent of the hard work well if you think about it even a dollar across an average yeah, and then, month is and then huge. everybody's happy like you know the buyers will be happy the consumer is going to be happy we will bring in the freshest highest quality seafood for everybody to consume but uh if if we shut down these imports then these buyers will give us a fair price what we deserve for our fish and then we could get people that are excited about the long term like not just one trip for take pictures and tell stories like let's let's make a positive change in this fishery for everybody got a question for you so you've been here for a long time yeah and uh unfortunately hawaii has recent years got a bad rap for fish quality and my belief on that is because trips have gotten too long from a lot of the fleet do you agree with that I 100% agree with you. Um, that's the one thing, too, is um, 
bring them in fresh, get a good price. My my father, John Miking, he always told me if you're having a shitty trip, they'll make it a long shitty trip. You know, cut it, keep the fish fresh. Yeah, and I'm not gonna burn any more fuel driving around. Once I put that first fish on the boat, I'm on a time limit. Right, and that's natural resources. So these guys that are coming down from south, oh, I got twenty five, thirty thousand pounds. I'm like, yeah, half of it's rotten. Yeah, the and I'm like, long. that's mother nature. You know, you cannot, you cannot be like that. So, uh, what we're trying to do is just shorter trips. Uh, it helps me out a lot with my expenses. And then it's like, yeah, get a good price, and then we try and do a quick turnaround, turn and burn. Yep. And shorter trips, fresher fish, better quality. Roger that. Okay. Well, I know that I've got a bunch of stuff that I want to ask you, but I also know that you don't have much time to talk. So. Let me give you a few more questions. Okay. And then we'll have you back on the show. I'm, I'm heading out to sea tomorrow, and you know how that is. I so do. So I still have to go do my laundry. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I, I definitely. Understand. I gotta go see my girlfriend before I head out. Well, now we're getting to the. <laughs> now we're getting to the real yeah. point of the uh, the rush. I get it. And this is just a start for for everybody that's listening. Um, I'm heading out to sea tomorrow for about twenty to twenty five days. But when I get back, we're gonna keep this going. When you say 20, 25 days, so how many days driving will it be just to get to the first spot? So I'm going to leave Honolulu Harbor tomorrow morning at sunrise. And You're we're... not getting up at sunrise. You're going to go see your <laughs> girlfriend. Come on, dude. <laughs> who, who are you lying to? Hey, oh, I'll, <laughs> I'll leave tomorrow night. <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah, I uh, we're going to turn Makapu'u, and I'm going to go straight north. We're, we'll probably run four days straight. Four days. Four, four or five days. I'm gonna get way up high. It's, it's summertime, and I want to reach that cold water to get that cold water ahi. With those big, beautiful. Yeah, we got fish. some big shitomes up there. Some swordfish running around, and this time of year the weather's beautiful. We got this big high pressure lingering up there, and it's. I'm I'm gonna travel four or five days, and then I'll fish for about twelve or thirteen days in a row, and whatever I get, I'll come in. Awesome. What is the story with all the big squid photos you've been posting? What, oh, what's man. going on there? You get so I kind of had this. Um, I've been catching fish my whole life, and I used to catch squid off the side of the boat, like with a small pole. They'd come up under the hauling lights when we're drifting. I always love just catching fish, but the squid fishing is—it's a whole other deal because they're super, super smart, and then the gear that we're using to catch them is different than fishing gear. You know, like a, a squid lure is way different than a hook. Right. A lure. So it's fun, man. Like, it's kind of like while I'm hauling gear and catching ahis, I'm tweaking out the whole time catching Ika, the squid. Huge ones, too. So are you actually, like, trolling those then because the, you're moving ahead? Yep. So it's it's while I'm hauling gear, I got it off the back of the boat. And at first, we were putting them pretty far back, but uh, the prop wash and. Um, I ended up sinking them way back. It's about a hundred yards behind the boat, pitch dark, and then I got these disco lights that are flashing right above the lure. So at it. How do you know when you have one on? So I, <laughs> I tie a knot. I put a bungee cord. It's because nobody's really monitoring it. It's just sitting there. Right. While we're while we're running our long line gear. Right. So, you're, so while I'm hauling you're, gear, you're hauling long line gear, and then you've got these squid rigs hanging out the back. Yeah. And I'm used to, um, we're all about safety, you know, safety first. So when I got my crew on the boat, they're all wearing different colored jackets. I got red, orange, green, yellow. So I'm used to looking back every 30 seconds. And right. when there's rough weather and all you could hear is wind and rain and the exhaust of the boat, and you got your hood over your head, 
it's all about like you kind of have somebody fall off the boat and ah, and you don't hear him. You look right. back five minutes later, like, oh, where'd Rasby go? Yeah, five minutes is so. So I'm always used to looking back and doing the one, two, three, four, five. Okay, everybody's there. Boom. While I'm hauling, and then so while I do that, I just look at that bungee cord. If that bungee cord is extended, it's game got her on. on. Yeah. And you catching any small ones too? Most or they of the just time, all it monsters. just and, Oh, that picture I showed—they're all like that. They're all huge ones like that. So last ship had thirty-one Ika. Really? And then I take them home, so I smoke them. Yeah, thirty-one big ones like that. Yeah, we had oh, about sick. We had about two or three hundred pounds of fresh squid. Dude, I'm gonna have to rig something up like that. And then when I come home, we smoke it. My father's got a smoker mm-hmm. at home, so when I come home, I I clean them. Right when I get up, I clean them, take the membrane out, and then right when I get home, I salt them. What's pop- the fastest you can go and catch those squid without them ripping off? I'm I'm only hauling gear, so I'm hauling gear at like Couple. two two to three knots. Right. Have you, ever tr- have you ever tried keeping them out when you're going faster? No. No? What, when I go fast, I throw out my real lures <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, for the yeah, big yeah. fish. But. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, so the squid fishing is just, uh, it's kind of like a little hobby of mine that I really got into it the last couple of trips. And well, I'm learning more too. Like, I'm just getting started. Like, I'm like trying all types of different equipment. And different, well, we put uh, a lot of time into squid fishing. So yeah. when I saw those big squid photos, I'm like, what's he got going on over there? And tomorrow, I'll Tomorrow I'll show you. Yeah, I want to see that rig. Um, I, got, I got one for you, actually, if you want oh, to walk with me right now. Oh, yeah, I do. What's uh, I know you've got to go. Um, where can people uh, find you, before I forget? Where can they come check out these pictures? What, what is your uh, IG? So my Instagram is TravMiking. So T-R-A-V, Trav. My last name is Miking, M-Y-K-I-N-G. I have a Facebook. My Facebook is called TravFish, T-R-A-V space fish. And I'm working with Hawaii Longline Association, Pacific Ocean Producers, me and Kenton Gear on the Vicious Cycle. <laughs> we got my father has the Marie M and the Marine Star. We're at Pier 38, Honolulu, Hawaii. Are you still doing your art? Are you still selling any art? I do a lot of artwork. Yep. Um, I'm doing lots of arts and crafts with the, with the Marlin Bills and the Swordfish Bills. And I do a lot of drawing. I, I play music if anybody wants to jam. Uh, yeah, we play at ukulele guitar every day and it's it's kind of like uh when when we're not fishing we we gotta enjoy the other beautiful things in life so roger that he has a lot of beautiful artwork i really like the bill work and uh he collects glass balls as oh, well man. and alaska that was a whole other deal everyone's like where'd you get all these glass balls and i'm so lucky i got to venture out to every aleutian island and i love beach going so i I'd go out to these spots that most people would never get to go to, and I'd just be like, oh my gosh, class balls everywhere, and doing Kanaka weaponry, so. Hey, Sylvester. How's it going, buddy? How's it going? Sylvester was actually my first podcast guest. I know. Uh, hey, how's, how's it going, man? with me on my boat. Hey. What's up? Hardball. We're, we call him Hardball. Hardball. Hey. Uh, we're just doing a little podcast. Okay. Well, I guess Trav's got to go, but. Before you go, Trav, I got three questions you have to answer, hey, mm-hmm. and then. Okay, go tell her. Yeah, tell her. One there. minute. Okay. All right. Blonde or brunettes? Oh man. Um, the what? <laughs> I'm going right now. Um, I like brunettes. Brunettes. Yeah. Redheads. Are all of them crazy, or just ninety percent of them? A couple of my friends are really awesome. Uh, some of the most beautiful people I know in this whole world are redheads. So yeah, uh, as far as chicks, man, so when, when 90, we get off the boat, is that just ninety percent then? 
<laughs> these girls drive us crazy, so we gotta be very careful about which ones we hang out with. Yeah, I, I love all redheads. <laughs> <laughs> What's the best bar? What's your favorite bar in the world? Oh, my favorite bar in the world, you can find me at the Kailua Palace. Right in Kailua, in the heart of Kailua. It's called the Kailua Tavern now. It used to be called Biggie's. That's where, um, that's where I grew up with all the uncles. So. Best strip club in the world. Best strip club in the world, my living room. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, we'll end hey, it with that. Thank, thank you so you. much for being here, buddy. Hey, thank appreciate you, Kenton, it. and we'll thank get... you for all the listeners. Um, we really appreciate all the support, and uh, we hope to keep this going. Oh, yeah. Well, we'll get you back on the show when you got more time where you're not in a rush, and I'll really pick your brain on some more fishing stuff, and I look forward to seeing that squid rig. So, right. again, where can they find you? Travis Miking, Instagram, Trav Miking. Facebook, Trav Fish, and if you guys ever want to come down to the harbor, I'm on Fishing Vessel Marie M at Pier 38, Honolulu, Hawaii. And what's the address for that strip club at your house? No, I'm sorry. Oh, <laughs> 999, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> All hey. right, thanks a lot, buddy. Have Appreciate a good day. It. All right, aloha.